Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Hark Sameach. There we go. I know this is a very small crowd for us normally, and I think half being out is a low number, but all right. So, title today, Mandatory Fun, which normally elicits some kind of idea of in the mind of a company picnic where you're forced to go. And if you're ever in the military, then you might have heard that phrase thrown around on some kind of command function where you're required to go. And at some point your commanding officer is scanning the room going, why is no one having fun? I specifically requested it. <sighs> Sorry, sir. It, it's also a Weird Al album and it's a podcast, mandatory fun. Let's do a little quiz on the theme of the season. And it comes from ultimately our holiday liturgy. So what's the season? It's in the next slide. Zaman Khirtenu, time of our freedom. What's the holiday? Passover, Pesach, right? The time of our freedom, the season of our liberation. And that's pretty easy to figure out from the text. We were liberated from Egypt. We were literally slaves and God freed us. And then we have Zaman Matan Torah Tenu, time of the giving of the Torah, which is Shavuot, the giving of the Torah at Sinai. And, and also, we also celebrate that as a time of giving the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem. And then we come to Sukkot, Zaman Simcha Tenu, the time of our joy, the time of our gladness. Thank you. Where's that in the text? It's really obvious when you look at Pesach and you look at Shavuot, because those are, those are very kind of clear cut. But why do we call this the season or the time of our joy? What about it is joyous? Exactly. And it is a command in the Torah to rejoice at this time. In Vayikra Leviticus 23, beginning in verse 39, on the 15th day of the seventh month, that's this month, when you gather in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate a festival to the Lord for seven day, for a seven day period. The first day shall be a rest day, Shabbat, so to speak, and the eighth day shall be a rest day. And you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of the Hadar tree, the date palm fronds, a branch of a braided tree, and willows of the brook, so the Arbaminim, the four species, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for a seven-day period. So we, we have, uh, Yishai, go ahead. So we have the, it's the waving of the lulav that, that we did earlier, right? The fruit of the Hadar tree. We have the, the citron and the, the date palm and the branch of a braided tree. And not just any willow, but willows of the brook or a water willow. You can grab those, hold them up. And you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord for seven days in the year. It's an eternal statute throughout your generations that you celebrate it in the seventh month. So where is the joy come from? Why are we happy? In Reformed Judaism, they will say, well, we're happy because it's a harvest festival. Because you just gathered in all your grain. You had all of your increase. That investment you made with that seed you planted back in planting season, you harvest it. So of course you're happy. You have tons of food. But that's not what it says. Take a look specifically at verse 40. 
take the fruit of the Hadar tree, the date palm fronds, the branch of the braided tree. So take the Arba Minim and rejoice before the Lord. So before you walked up here on a scale of one to 10, like one being you're, you're pretty depressed and 10 being you're, you're bursting at the seams happy, what would you said you were? Eight, right? And just any given time in the year, random time of the year, if I called you at one in the afternoon, doesn't matter the day, what would you say you are? Probably a negative four. Negative four was not in the scale. All right, an eight. When, when you picked those up, did you change from an eight? You didn't get like a magic, magic dopamine hit or something, did you? No, not really. Okay. Shake them or something. That didn't just make you happy. All right. Maybe we're not doing it right. <laughs> so we have this, this command to take these, these four species and to wave them. And the command is to rejoice. And that seems weird. And we're kind of allowed to say that. We're allowed to look at something in the Torah and say, I don't get it. And that's kind of the first step in, in getting something is to go, what's happening here? Thank you. Why, why are we told to take these four species and to wave them? And we're, we're commanded, it's mandatory fun. You shall rejoice when you do this. Why? Because this isn't about gathering produce. It's not about that return on investment you get in the fall season. And we are supposed to rejoice. Rejoicing is commanded throughout scripture. And even in the Shah we're told to rejoice. And we have this kind of standing instruction from our shul in Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And following through in the text, Rav Shul continues, be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Messiah Yeshua. We're told not just to rejoice, but control your thoughts. Watch your thoughts. Don't dwell on negative things. That is bad for you. So how's that going? Are we, as a, as a people, if someone kind of just audited a random week of your conversation and your internal monologue, are our thoughts positive or negative? And I promise you, I could track that directly based on your social media use. Guaranteed, 100% of the time. We are commanded to have positive thoughts and to rejoice. But getting back to specifically in this season, because it's this season that's commanded in the Torah. Why the four species? Why are we commanded to rejoice? And also, do we see these elements of the Arbabanim, the four species, somewhere else? Why the four species? Well, we have the citron, did you take it or did you pack it? Okay, you packed it. We have the citron and we have this interesting thing of fruit, right? Fruit from the Hadar tree. And, and that word is translated in different ways, um, like, like splendorous. Uh, so we have this fruit and then we have leaves or what would be a leaf and then we have a branch and then we have uh, from the willow tree but not any willow a willow of the brook or a water willow so these aren't random we go from fruit 
to leaf, to branch, to water. It's an interesting pattern that we're going through in that we go from the fruit we pick back to a source. Now, you might have heard a lot of different explanations for the four species, and you can have multiple interpretations of something, and they don't necessarily conflict or contradict. And often the best things in life have multiple meanings. So if you've heard them explained in other ways, that is fantastic. That's just not how we have that prism turned today. But why are we commanded to rejoice, specifically with the four species, because it's tied directly to that? But where else do we see this? Or something that seems like a flipped image of it. You pick this fruit and you come before God, before his face, literally, and rejoice. Where else do we see some of those elements? Well, back in the garden in Genesis 3, beginning in verse 6. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes. And the tree was desirable to make one wise. So she took its fruit and she ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. And then fast forward to verse 16, God speaking to the woman, he said, I shall surely increase your sorrow and your, in your pregnancy. In pain you shall bear children. And to your husband will be your desire and he will rule over you. And to the man, he said, because you listened to your wife and you ate from the tree, which I commanded you saying you shall not eat it. Cursed be the ground for your sake. With toil shall you eat of it all the days of your life. So in Sukkot, we're commanded, pick this fruit. And then we have these other species, leaf, branch, and then a water willow. And you rejoice before God, before his face. Whereas in the garden, they picked a fruit they were not commanded to pick. And they hid from God's face and received specifically sorrow, the opposite of joy. Why the four species? It is a direct sort of undoing. God is showing this is a harm that happened with the very first people, with Adam and Chava, with Adam and Eve. And we are, in a way, rejoicing before him, undoing that thing that was done in the garden, albeit in metaphor. And that sorrow, the sorrow in their fruit, so we rejoice in this fruit. That sorrow was specifically in their fruit because Eve was told, you are going to have sorrow in childbearing. I will greatly increase your pain. And to Adam, he said, you are going to have sorrow from the ground. So what happened in the garden? Specifically, what happened in the garden? Uh, Hava and Adam, Adam and Eve, they ate the fruit illicitly. We don't have any fruit eating in the Sukkot. We don't eat the citron. I wouldn't recommend it at least. And they were, they were kicked out of the garden. So was the fruit it, or was there ultimately something else bigger at play, something that was going on? As in, did the fruit just kind of have some sort of property that when they ate it, it, it changed them on what we might see as a genetic and a spiritual level? Or, or was there something different that was going on? And I'll, I'll kind of have a, a proposition for you. So in Proverbs 3, 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. So was the eating of the fruit in the garden, which was against God's will, and in doing so, they acted as if the garden was theirs. They completely disregarded that God ultimately owned the garden. They did not, in their ways, acknowledge him. For example, if I lend you my car and I say, whatever you do, don't do donuts in the parking lot. And you take my car and immediately start doing donuts in the parking lot. You're acting like the car is, belongs to you, that it's not really mine. You're negating my ownership of it by showing absolute and complete disrespect to the boundaries I placed over the car. And there's a, there's a TV show where the son had just gotten his license, parents hand him the keys, and the dad says, whatever you do, you can go hang out with your friends, that's fine. It's an old car. Don't go out of town. End time only trip. Thanks, son. Man goes back inside, sits down, opens the paper. It's an older show. And his wife says, oh, where are the kids going? The dad says, out of town. His wife says, how do you know? Hmm? Told him not to. <laughs> we have this thing that when we're told, don't do that thing, that rebellious side of it immediately, immediately wants to do that thing. And I see it in a lot of people. We bow at this point in the service. No, well, I want to bow at this point in the service. Oh, okay, okay. They acted like the garden was theirs the second they decided, I'm gonna eat from whatever fruit I want to eat from, even though they had this enormous garden at their disposal. And it was one tree, one tree. They did not acknowledge God. I remember my dad telling me a joke about some, some scientists came to God and they said, God, with our science, we've determined we don't need you. We are able to, uh, from any matter, we can create anything we want. We can, we can put, rearrange atoms and put them in whatever order we want, create whatever molecules we want. We can even create life in a test tube. So they challenged God and they said, we can, in fact, we think we can create better than you. And God says, laughed and said, okay, by all means, proceed. And the scientist reaches down to get some dirt because that's all they need to start. And God says, whoa, 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 whoa. Get your own dirt. When we fail to acknowledge God, we come to some really bad understandings. When we don't acknowledge the source of whatever it is, whatever that thing is, we run into a lot of trouble. Take our food, for example. How many people in here have picked an apple from a tree? Ever, like in your entire life. 50 years ago, every hand would have gone up. I love seeing people talk about, you know, I literally had someone ask, are these the front legs or the back legs of a chicken? And I'll see people complain about, oh, we need to get rid of farmers. You have all the food you need in the store. And we can, we can chuckle at that. And I come from a long line of farmers. So I, I look at that and, and I laugh because that, that food literally goes to the grocery store. And when people get so disconnected from their food source, they don't realize what goes into our food supply. We fail to realize that the grocery store is sourced from farmers and you know, cattlemen and different things. 
when we don't acknowledge God, when we look around at the things we have, we're completely disregarding the source. And we're just like the person saying, why do we need ranchers? There's plenty of, there's plenty of meat to buy at the grocery store. Not realizing that's where the meat comes from. The things you have in your life, if you're looking at it and saying, I don't really need God, I've got, I've got so much money saved up. I have like 85 investment properties. You're not realizing the source of everything is God. There's nothing you can look at and say the source of that thing is something other than God. So source. I had a friend ask me one time, and what's something we do before we eat? We say a what? Someone said, wash our hands. That's good. I like it. I like it. But even with that, we say a what? A bracha. Thank you. We say a bracha. So that, that word, beit resh, chaf hei, bracha, we'll say, you know, baruch olam. You can finish it however you want. If you're, if you're lazy like mint dinner, it creates everything by its word, and you're, just, you're covering it all in one, in one bunch. That word, bracha, I had a friend ask me, why do, you, why do you say that? Blessed are you, God. Don't we ask God for a blessing? Why are we saying blessed are you? I'd never had someone ask me that before, and this was a, this was a non-Jewish friend. And I kind of thought about it, and so I, I did a little reading. So the word bracha can be, depending on how you put the vowel points there, and it changes meaning a bit, but it's telling. So bercha, in, in more modern Hebrew, means like a pool. But when you look at a lot of older texts, the context it's used in would be something like a giant pool that feeds other streams and rivers, that it's a body of water that acts as a source. So when we say, blessed are you, Lord our God, we are recognizing the source of what it is we have. We acknowledge the source. And we see that in Genesis 14, 20, and I don't have a slide for this, but uh, this is after uh, Avram took, uh, he had to go fight numerous armies, and in the end, he's victorious, and uh, Melchizedek is saying, blessed be the most high God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. He's acknowledging the source. At Sukkot, when we take the waving of the lulav, we are acknowledging the source of what it is we have. That unlike the garden, we're not just taking whatever we want, however we want, without acknowledging God is in charge of all of it. That's why we have the waving of the lulav, because we're not living life on our terms. We're living life on his terms, and we give him the credit. We've all seen what it looks like when Someone's not really giving the credit and it's extremely unattractive. Take your typical college student who's away from home for the first time, living on their own with mommy and daddy's credit card. And they will stereotypically, not everyone, stereotypically act like the biggest brat because 
They have all this money to spend, they didn't really work for it, and they have no accountability, or at least very little accountability. And they want to play grown-up, so they're spending all this money and trying to make all these decisions, but they're not often really acknowledging that this entire little adult experience they're getting is being financed by dad and or mom's hard work, that they didn't really work for it. And it looks very unattractive. And at some point, any of us have experienced this to some degree, or probably, although we don't want to admit it, we've been the bratty college kid in some way, shape, or form. We've done it. I've watched it happen where someone goes to great lengths to help someone out, and then down the road, not too long down the road, all of a sudden there's a, well, what have you done for me lately? Always acknowledge your source, both with God and with each other. Always default to honoring someone. We see in Mishlei, Proverbs 3, my son, do not forget my teaching, but have your heart comply with my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you, and do, and do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good reputation in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. smartest person in the world wrote that. When we acknowledge God as our source, the source of everything, only then do our lives properly align. When we act like we did all of this on our own, it throws everything out of whack and it leads to sorrow. It leads to depression. It leads to us hiding from God because deep down, every single one of us knows, ultimately, you didn't actually do that. You can plant a seed, any number of things can go wrong. It might rain not at all or too much or at the wrong times. You might have some kind of disease, some kind of pestilence, things that you cannot control for and you will never be able to control for everything. When we acknowledge God and his dominion in what we do, then everything properly aligns. And we are commanded to do this with joy because when we comply with God, that aligns our spirit and our soul to our maker. That we do not simply harvest and rejoice in the work of our own hands and God cautions us against that. We harvest and we acknowledge the source. The sages teach on this too. They say in, in Talmud, uh, Tractate Berachot, one should not rise to pray amidst a state of sorrow, nor amidst slothfulness, nor amidst laughter, think like cackling and, and uh, 
being a joker, nor immense chatter, nor immense lightheadedness, nor immense idle words, but rather amidst simcha shel mitzvah, joy associated with a mitzvah. We should rise to pray, joyously serving God and being obedient children. And this isn't just in, in Talmud, Charles Spurgeon wrote an entire sermon titled, Serving the Lord with Gladness, where he says it's not enough to just serve God and mechanically do what you're supposed to do. We have to serve him with joy. And he equates not serving God joyously to hypocrisy and idolatry. It's even listed with the curses in Deuteronomy 28. Towards the end, when God says, all these curses shall come upon thee and pursue thee and overtake thee. Why? Because you did not serve God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart. And that's Deuteronomy 28, verses 45 and 47. We cannot be good servants of Yeshua without joy. It is impossible. Acknowledging God as our source leads to joy. And Yeshua discusses this as well. In John 15, beginning in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. There are so many things we can pursue in this life. In each one of us, God has placed an overwhelming amount of potential. And we all have the same 168 hours in a week. Within each and every person in this room, there is more potential than probably anyone realizes. What we are never free to do is act like we got to where we are on our own. And we see that perfectly in Messiah Yeshua who was made in the likeness of God, and he had every reason, perhaps, to be prideful, to be puffed up. But his response was humility and submission to the will of the Father. And not a single one of us can hold a candle to him. We're supposed to spend a lifetime trying, but we all know we don't. Yeshua lived a perfect life, and he did, we'll say, cooler things than most of us could ever dream of. And he was obedient even to a torturous death, death on the cross. He acknowledged his Father in heaven as his source. He did not ever try to act like he was living on his own terms, for his own reasons, because he was perfectly submitted. The joy of Messiah is, in part, total joyful obedience to God, recognizing your Father in heaven as the source of everything. And the seed that you planted and harvest, that dollar you saved and invested, the children that you have, how you invest your time, all of it is ultimately for God. The things that you do, whether you get some kind of a trade qualification or a PhD, whether you're a doctor or an attorney or a plumber, the things that you accomplish in life are not for you. They are ultimately 
in service of God. So we wave the lulav at Sukkot because we're acknowledging that unlike in the garden, when the fruit was picked and eaten illicitly and it caused them to run from God's presence and be afraid and it led to sorrow, which we still experience today. But it's a little image of what life will be like with Messiah when we're living in the kingdom, in his presence, rejoicing before God, our maker, literally, recognizing that he is the source of all, who is good to all, provides food and nourishes for all of creation. Would the music team please come up? Would you please stand? Our Father in heaven, rock of Israel, Lord, I thank you for this season of joy. It's Simcha Rabbah. It's great joy that we have in you, our maker and our king. Lord, we thank you that you appoint these times for us to be with you, for us, your children, all of Israel, to join and rejoice in God, our maker. Lord, I thank you for the provision that you make for us. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for your word made flesh. Lord, I thank you that we do not, we are not left to come and make our requests before you on our own merits, that we make our requests before you by the name of your son, Yeshua, by his sacrifice, and that we do not make our requests before you in sorrow, but we make our requests before you with joy, Lord, I thank you for this season of joy and I ask that in each of our hearts, you would reveal to us where we are not acknowledging you as our source, that you would reveal it to us, that where we have created dishonor and not acknowledging things properly, you would align our hearts and our minds to you in your perfect will. By the name of your son, Yeshua Messiah, we make our request to you with thanksgiving and praise. Amen. Hag Sameach.